Welcome to Bitcoin Tech Talk. Uh, my name is Jimmy Song, and this is a newsletter that I read through every week. Uh, you can always get it at jimmysong.substack.com. Bitcoin is toxic to fiat mentality. Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 259. Rent seeking is a common feature of any fiat economy. This is because there's a large pot of money to be gained through Cantillon effects. And that means a lot of economic activity is not subject to normal market forces, like the need to satisfy customers. Like a malignant cancer, rent-seeking tends to spread throughout the economy, usually through some government regulation where many unnecessary positions created to satisfy some bureaucrat end up adding costs. Such positions tend to be perceived as relatively easy, as the hard work of creating something the market wants is avoided. I say perceived because rent-seeking positions are what a lot of people aspire to. In a sense, rent-seeking jobs are easy because they optimize the work-to-salary ratio. The much more underrated dynamic at play is that such work tends to feel meaningless, and many people in such positions have a profound sense of despair. The reason is obvious. Work that doesn't contribute anything to anyone may pay well, but provides little in the way of self-actualization or life satisfaction. What's more, rent-seeking is difficult because it ties the rent-seeker very tightly to their employer. Employers are benefiting from the Cantillon effect, whether as a company, government entity, or another person. In a sense, rent-seekers become rent-seekers have someone to satisfy, but unlike in a free market where there's a clear good or service to provide, rent-seeking is much more ambiguous and difficult to discern. This generally means that the opinions of rent-seekers are going to be very much aligned with the employer to minimize the chances of losing the lucrative job. This is obvious in any large company as the employees tend to hold the same general opinion as the company does. This is profoundly restrictive to the possible thoughts an employee can have. As they have to be team players, rent seekers cannot deviate from the Overton window of allowable opinion. Any deviation is considered toxic and given how easy it is to fill rent seeking positions, even small deviations do not have to be tolerated. I write this because this mentality is causing some angst in the cryptocurrency space. Bitcoin maximalists are being accused of being toxic because so many people have this fiat mentality. Altcoiners are not used to this level of conflict or being called out. They have been in a fiat bubble so long that being told they're wrong is downright offensive. People with a fiat mentality are not used to being told they're wrong by non-superiors. If they are criticized at all, it's done passive-aggressively, aka nicely, by someone that manages them. With rent-seeking positions, any deviation from the correct opinion is fixed this way. Rent-seekers are not used to getting criticized, especially directly, by people they perceive as their equals or beneath them. And indeed, the directness is what so, offend, so many people find offensive. Maximalists are portrayed as toxic, as if they have a critical character flaw. What's ignored is that toxic maximalists criticize from a well-reasoned rational basis. 
doesn't it really doesn't matter how gentle someone is on Twitter. They will be called toxic by all coiners. That's uh, a convenient way to dismiss the argument. The typical response to Bitcoin maximalist criticism is something like, why is some guy living in his mom's basement telling me I'm wrong about coin X? The fact that so many altcoiners feel the need to portray their critics as losers should tell you something about their perception of the world. It is a pure fiat mentality born of entitlement. Instead of reflecting on whether they might be wrong, they, they just accuse Bitcoiners of being Im mean, impolite, and toxic. The accusation here is that harsh criticism of altcoinery will turn off people from actually investing in Bitcoin. In a democratic fiat world, this would be true. Criticism of bosses is simply not tolerated. In other words, there's an inbuilt conformity to rent-seeking. Bitcoin isn't a company, and there's no boss whose opinion needs massaging. In other words, Bitcoin doesn't play by fiat rules. A lot of people find Bitcoiners' harsh criticism to be distasteful. But then again, isn't medicine distasteful to a parasite? Maximalism is toxic to fiat mentality, and that's a good thing. All right, so I wrote this because obviously there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on with toxicity and people complaining about it. But for me, this is essentially people complaining about getting criticized, right? All coiners hate criticism because they just want enthusiasm for their coin, uh, no matter how stupid it is. Uh, and they are oftentimes really scammy or really dumb or both. Um, and they, they don't like that criticism. And so they sort of turn it back and reframe it as Bitcoiners are toxic and that, you know, they don't have any good argument. It's avoiding the argument altogether. Instead of talking about the merits of their coin, of which there's very little, they talk about how it's the personality or the tone of the Bitcoiners that's the problem. And of course, that's not the case. Uh, the problem is that all these scams are proliferating in large part due to these people that are calling other people toxic. They're the ones that are getting people into scams and getting people to lose a lot of money. Uh, so for me, the, the toxicity argument doesn't work. It's, it's, um, it's a way to control other people by uh, framing sort of like some standard of behavior where the standard is defined by you. Uh, and no, nah, I, I, I refuse to conform to what some other person's uh, you know, uh, standard of civility might be, especially if that standard happens to include no criticism of that, uh, that person or their beliefs or their opinions. All right, let's talk about some other stuff. Uh, Bitcoin, a new paper does a security analysis of BIP32 wallets. The paper is quite technical and goes through a proof of the various security properties of BIP32 in a formal way. They prove that keys are secure as long as messages are signed only once. That is, the same message should not be signed twice by the same key. There's also a mitigation for a particular type of attack based on a random oracle. It's great to see academia start to formally analyze these constructions that Bitcoin has created. Uh, so th uh, this is a very interesting paper. Uh, HD wallets have been around for a while. Um, they, they have some sort of like proposed improvements and so on. But, uh, you know, the, the big thing to note is that academia really is 
trying to figure out good ways to make uh, to contribute to Bitcoin. Um, and from what I hear, uh, this is what gets a lot of them grants because they want to see industry using it. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'll say that. And, uh, you know, they're using their considerable brain power towards the sense. So that's great. Wasabi has a great blog post on the privacy guarantees of their approach. Dub Wasabi 2.0 CoinJoin, which they call Dyna Denomination CoinJoin, the inputs do not need to be equal. That said, there are only certain denominations that are allowed to give a larger anonymity set to the CoinJoins. The interesting part of this approach is that each user CoinJoins with, with many inputs and many outputs. The approach maximizes the anonymity set by creating a large combinatorial space of possible input amounts and output amounts. It apparently took two years of research to come up with this method, and there seems to be great promise in anonymization, which, allow, uh, which shows just how the free market will come up with solutions on its own in lieu of protocol level changes. Uh, so Wasabi has been researching this thing for a while, and the way it works is that you know, the simplest one would be, you know, you, you do some, um, you do like, you can have inputs that are one Satoshi, two Satoshi, four Satoshi, any power of two Satoshi. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you input, uh, you have like seven inputs that are like that. And then you use those to get seven outputs of the same varying amounts, uh, or some, uh, combination thereof. And you get that back and it's uh, essentially coin joined, uh, but you have multiple inputs and multiple outputs, which is kind of interesting. And that way um, you get anonymity, even if the amounts are different. Uh, previously, Wasabi CoinJoin 1.0 had equal amounts for every input. So they were all like one Bitcoin or something. And then you got a one Bitcoin output. You couldn't tell which one was an input, which one was an output. But they figured out a way in which you could have disparate amounts on the inputs you just have to have more than one of them and you get disparate amounts on the output. So you get a larger anonymity set through uh, combinatorics. Basically, if you have like nine Bitcoins on the input and it's like one, four, uh, two, two, four Bitcoin inputs and a one, one Bitcoin output uh, input, you could get an output that's, uh, you know, a four, three and a two on the output and like, there are many ways in which you can get nine on either side. So it's very difficult uh, to tell whose is whose and uh, link them together. All right. Mercury is a Bitcoin privacy tool that uses Ruben Thompson's state chains. Bitcoin magazine has a nice long write up. I've covered state chains in this newsletter before, but that what's different about this angle is that it's focused largely on privacy. State chains work by transferring UTXOs off-chain, but by mixing them up through an anonymity protocol, UTXOs can be swapped with one another, giving a layer of privacy. The protocol does require some trust in a third party, but that's part of the state chain's design. I like the many choices we are getting in the anonymity space, as any one method may have a flaw, but having so many will allow for robustness. So state chains is basically like transferring a specific UTXO off-chain using sort of like a two-of-two two protocol. It's a design by Ruben Thompson. It can be considered uh, layer two, and you can actually like open lightning channels off of it and things like that. It's really cool. 
Uh, but there's also a privacy aspect to it where you can mix some of the state chain outputs um, and basically swap them for one another and no one's the wiser. Uh, like, so you you get somebody else's UTXO and it really acts a lot like cash at that point because uh, UTXO is a, uh, you know, has a certain amount associated with it and you can swap them off chain. Uh, that gives you certain properties. It'd be like uh, playing in a poker game with cash and then getting back the cash and like it's not linked to anybody. You, you get this nice coin join effect. So it, it's really cool. Uh, but Mercury is a is a cool protocol, too. And um, yeah, interesting way of doing everything. Bitmax has given new grants to Renee Picard and Chris Coverdale. Congrats to both of them and especially Chris, since he took my class back in 2018 and has gone on to be a Bitcoin core and lightning contributor. So Bitmax continues to add uh, more grants, uh, which is great. And, you know, I, I like to post them in my newsletter because I think it's, um, you know, worth sort of congratulating some of these Bitcoin developers. Twitter has started rolling out its lightning tips feature. They are taking advantage of the new strike API. The feature is available to a subset of iOS users. I still don't have it on my old iPhone and should make for some interesting use cases. Twitter already has multiple monetization options, including ticketed spaces and super followers, both of which are in beta. If Lightning allows for Twitter to get off of its largely ad-driven revenue model, I think it will be much better. It will be a much better service. So, um, you know, I, I, I can see this becoming sort of like a, a core change in Twitter because, uh, you know, they, they are obviously ad based, much like Facebook and Google and many other web, uh, you know, anything really. Uh, but, you know, with Lightning, you have this ability to do micropayments and you, you and because Twitter's providing the platform, they have this ability to take a little bit of that transaction. So if you do get a lot of super followers and you get ticketed spaces and events and Lightning tipping and things like that, they could take a small portion eventually. Uh, you know, and basically remove ads. And I think that will make for a better experience. And they'll naturally cater more towards the people that are paying, like the super followers, ticketed spaces, people are that are receiving a lot of tips, that are uh, giving a lot of tips. And that naturally sort of like takes out a lot of spammers, right? Because, um, you know, they, they rely entirely on volume. Um, and you'll get uh, sort of a natural civil resistance as a result of that. So, I think this could be sort of like an existential change to Twitter eventually as Lightning gets integrated. Um, and it's kind of cool to see Lightning having this virtuous effect on, on a company that many consider to be kind of evil. So um, really cool stuff. I, I'm looking forward to it becoming more of a thing. And um, yeah, once it's on my phone, I will be enabling it, but I think even among iOS users, it's like kind of a slow rollout. LN Bits is a way to create interesting Lightning applications. Ben Arc has made a Lightning Network version of Satoshi Dice. If you aren't familiar with Satoshi Dice, uh, it was an on-chain, provably fair gambling app. Since it's based on Lightning, I would say that this is a way better version given that it doesn't spam the blockchain. We really should start saying Lightning Network, not blockchain, as it's a far better fit for the really dumb altcoin ideas that have proliferated in this space. 
Uh, so Satoshi Dice was really cool because you could have provably fair gambling. So they'll send you a hash of some pre-image um, and then you send them, uh, you know, your uh, like something that you want to add to the randomization and they will uh, reveal the pre-image and then you can calculate what the uh, what what the outcome is uh, by you know combining them in a deterministic way, um, and that proves basically that the probability wasn't skewed, that it was all sort of like on the up and up, nothing up my sleeve, and so on. Um, unfortunately, Satoshi Dice was on chain and it spammed a lot, and a lot of people sent like one Satoshi to Satoshi Dice for like you know two to one, ten to one, hundred to one, whatever, um, and that that really spammed the blockchain. So. Um, you know, with uh, with with LN bits, uh, you're not spamming it at all, and you can you can still have provably fair gambling using sort of like a protocol to message back and forth. Um, really cool, and um, I, I I think uh, more stuff like this is probably coming. Darthcoin has compiled a list of things you can do with Lightning. This list uh, reminds me of the early days of Bitcoin when people would compile places where you can spend it. Again, this is far more appropriate for Lightning since it's faster and is much better suited to small payments. We're getting to see Lightning give scalability to Bitcoin in real time. So, uh, you know, there there is, uh, you know, Lightning capacity has been going up like crazy. I think it's at 2,900. It broke 2,000 like just a few months ago. So it's, uh, it's growing tremendously. Um, and as more money is in this, uh, sort of like in lightning channels and so on, I think uh, more people are going to, you know, there, there's going to be more goods and services and it's uh, experiencing sort of like organic growth, not like artificial growth like all coins have because of pre-mines and all that. This this is based on pure organic growth and uh, it's really exciting to see um, and I look forward to seeing more of it. Economics, engineering, etc. Alan Farrington has a thorough and complete debunking of DeFi in this very research, well-researched article. As he points out, DeFi is neither decentralized nor is it financed as currently implemented. The article is long, but very much worth reading in detail, especially for your friends that seem to believe DeFi is some amazing innovation. As he points out, the concepts are fine. The implementation is just completely centralized and not really financed. And, you know, to boot, it's uh, it's it's not like they're, they're basically just avoiding regulation that is there to prevent exactly what they're doing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I see DeFi as the same way. And, you know, there are a lot of enthusiasts and so on. But I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's not long for this world uh, as, as far as I can tell. Jameson Lop has launched BitcoinPoliticians.org as a way to keep track of who owns how many Bitcoins in Congress. As he points out, much of Congress, even the ones that are proponents of Bitcoin, don't actually own very much. It will be interesting to keep track of the general level of Bitcoin investment over time as a way to gauge Bitcoin's influence. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you know, at some point they'll they'll start buying into it. And I imagine they'll be a lot more enthusiastic about it once they have some. But, you know, it's going to take some time. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting metric to measure. This time article shows just how much prices have jumped and how the supply chain is strained as a result of inflation. In particular, the cost of international shipping has increased dramatically suggesting that this is not a problem that's going away anytime soon. 
The current narrative in the media is that price increases are just temporary, but as the article shows, prices for everything, especially labor and supplies, has increased, going downstream to the rest of the economy. Um, so I, I, I think I might make this my next article for next week. But, uh, you know, like supply chain problems um, happen because, you know, like prices are in flux. Whenever prices are in flux, well, you're not going to buy until you know what the price is or there's a mismatch between what the supplier wants for their, uh, their good and what the uh, buyer is willing to pay. And this, this is in flux because the rest of the uh, like all of the money printing hasn't sort of like percolated through the economy. So there tends to be a mismatch. Generally, buyers are going to want to pay old prices and suppliers are going to want to get new prices. And it takes there, there's sort of like a delay of coming to grips with, OK, prices have increased and, you know, I'm also going to be able to get more for my product and therefore it's fine. Um, that takes some time. And this, this is what's sort of causing a lot of the supply chain disruption um, and especially in labor and things like that. So, um, you know, the narrative is uh, COVID shut all these things down and it's going to take many years. Uh, it, it's taking time for it to get back to normal. Um, but this is the new normal. <laughs> it's, a, you know, inflation on like, uh, you know, like shutdowns are more or less permanent, although I guess you can argue shutdowns are permanent too. All right, uh, China has banned Bitcoin again for the real this time. I personally see this as very bullish as this will force the Bitcoin owners in China to really test the privacy of Bitcoin transactions. How dedicated will China be in its enforcement? How much of their economy will get on the black market? Necessity is the mother of invention, and while this really sucks for the people of China, expect, I expect better and more interesting tools to be built for Bitcoin as a result. So the market tends to be really good at finding solutions, and somebody will figure out, okay, well, China uses this heuristic to know that you're actually using Bitcoin. Well, then we're going to you know, come up with some other way to defeat that and so on. So... You know, if they're saying, OK, no cryptocurrency trading or whatever, people are going to figure out ways. And that's actually really good for Bitcoin because these technologies will get developed in China. But the rest of us benefited from uh, benefit from it as well uh, as the same techniques are applied elsewhere. Wyoming has made natural gas flaring for Bitcoin mining tax exempt. This makes sense, as otherwise gas flares will add emissions and cost to any world oil rig. I uh, expect other s states to follow suit. So um, this is happening. Lots of uh, you know gas flares are being captured for Bitcoin mining purposes, and they decided to make it tax exempt to incentivize it, which makes sense because you're getting less emissions. You're getting uh, you know, more profits for people and, you know, you're bringing in a new industry into the state. So, you know, I, like I'd be really surprised if Texas doesn't follow suit and so on. Uh, some quick hits. Bitcoin.org was hacked earlier this week. I don't know what happened, but uh, Cobra, who owns the domain, is probably multiple people. And it seems that a bunch of them probably, you know, uh, like at least one of them got compromised and they gave access to a scammer somehow. Chain analysis has been running a block explorer as a honeypot. So apparently they ran a walletexplorer.org and they've been using it to capture, you know, de-anonymizing data, especially with Monero. Um, 
yeah, uh, this this is why you should run your own full node. Uh, here's why Evergrande is a giant malinvestment. Uh, so, you know, there, there, it's an article about how Evergrande has gotten so big and how they're using leverage essentially to create all these apartment buildings that nobody really wants uh, that aren't finished and so on. So, yeah, I, I mean, I can't see this ending very well. And uh, the, uh, you know, People's Bank of China has already bailed them out to some degree. Um, there's talk of nationalization and so on. But this is a big deal, guys. Um, and, you know, this sort of thing happens quite often uh, when, you know, companies get caught with their pants down. And they certainly did. Yellen and the Treasury are starting to flex its regulatory powers over exchanges. So it's a story about how they're, um, you know, like sanctioning some exchange because they think it's related to ransomware and whatever. And it always starts like that. It'll get the regulatory regime will probably expand and try to regulate everything. So exchanges are going to have a burden, expect like fees to go up and so on. Gavin is either hoping for schadenfreude or delusional, but either way, this post shows why, he, why he's no longer a maintainer, of course. So his argument basically is that more and more Bitcoin will flow to centralized places and at some point they'll just sort of like, uh, you know, do what Nixon did by like uh, cutting off its uh, tie to gold uh, and won't settle on chain anymore, which... Um, yeah, I mean, he's free to believe that. I don't think people will go on to centralized exchanges because, you know, that's that. I, the, the whole point is self-sovereignty. Texas is considering a state constitutional amendment to allow payment of taxes in Bitcoin. Um, so if that state amendment goes through, great for people in Texas. Um, although, you know, to be honest, I don't really want it to pay taxes in Bitcoin, but you know, I mean, if it's an option, uh, I guess uh, it removes that extra step of having to convert it. Some events. I will be in Miami for the Oslo Freedom Forum, October 3rd through 6th, the Texas Blockchain Summit on October 8th, and in Atlanta for TabConf on November 4th and 5th. I will also be doing the Programming Blockchain Seminar in Atlanta, Georgia, November 2nd and 3rd. And, um, you know, you can apply if you are a programmer, and uh, can't afford it, I have scholarships available, so please apply. Some podcasts. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Preston Pish about Evergrande and Jay Gould about venture capital. So a uh, rare week where I uh, put out two episodes. Both episodes are definitely worth listening to. I think Preston's one uh, did really, really well, so uh, please take a look. Uh, if I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, I was also on Tone Show to talk about chain analysis, uh, Evergrande and more. Um, and I talked about the new book with some people at the Bitcoin Standard Conference, which has been recently published. Uh, my other books are uh, The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin. Of course, Thank God for Bitcoin was the book I was referring to earlier. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am an advisor and proud to be a, a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat the Linda S. This song is done.